Well, hello, church family. Boy, it's been a week, ain't it? Woo! I hope you all are staying safe and taking the proper precautions with, with this pandemic crisis. I hope that we're each doing our part to slow the spread of this disease through social distancing and, and making do uh, as things seem to be rapidly changing even by the hour and by the day. I think now more than ever, it's important for us to be the church, even if that means gathering in ways that are a little bit different than we're used to. And so this morning for our online worship, we're gonna start off with prayer. And I would invite you to participate fully, to allow yourself to let the Holy Spirit enter in and be present with you during this time. Let's pray. God, we need you. We have so many things on our hearts and minds anxiety, confusion, frustration, uncertainty, many of us feeling isolated and weary. In this moment, we lift all of these things to you and place the outcome of this epidemic in your hands. God, it's hard to wrap our minds around the origin and scale of this disease. At this moment, we cannot measure the extent nor the duration of the COVID-19 virus. We cannot possibly fathom all of the ways that this will disrupt people from Kearney to South Korea. We pray for all those in our community, throughout Clay County and Kansas City, in the state of Missouri, and for everyone in our country and around the world. In this moment of trouble, help us to be the church and make your kingdom present in the midst of the chaos and fear. God, we lift up to you those on the front lines the doctors, lab technicians, researchers, nurses, and all nursing home and healthcare professionals. We lift up first responders who run towards the problem to care for the sick and find the solution. All of these people we place into your care. We lift up those whose lives are affected by this disease. We are grateful for the medical care we have access to and ask that you would work through it in order that people who are infected would be healed and restored. We lift up those who are particularly vulnerable and ask that you help them feel your presence instead of isolation. We think of our friends in Haiti. We just had a mission team return. And we ask that you be with our friends and our partners and everyone on the island. We lift up all those whose routine and employment are impacted by this virus, that you would help bring about a swift end to this disease, that we could return to doing our work well. We lift up families who may struggle at home, children who are missing school, and parents who are wondering how to get through this period of time. God, your word tells us that no one can fathom the depths of your understanding. We don't understand why these things happen. Help remind us that your will for us is to have life abundantly, and give us your spirit of peace as we struggle in the tension of the mystery of disease and death. Let us remember the love and example of your son, Jesus, who came to us in a form we could understand and who himself endured suffering for our sake. It is in his name that we pray together the prayer that he taught us by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone at home and around the internet said, amen. So friends, for the next several weeks, we're going to be hosting worship online. That's going to mean a bit of a different pattern for us. Uh, But just like any Sunday, we'll have prayers, we'll have some worship music, we'll have a message, and we'll have the opportunity to be generous, to give. With everything so up in the air, we've chosen to make our online services as much like the experience on Sunday morning as possible. And so we're still doing our same sermon series we had planned. We're still going to offer our our different kind of styles or whatever you want to call that. I still trimmed up my beard this morning. I still put on a plaid shirt, right? We're going to be doing as much as we can to maintain normalcy. Our two pastors were scheduled to speak today, Pastor Sherry and Pastor Mitch. So guess what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to do. I hope you'll take the opportunity to share this experience with a friend that, that maybe folks who, who might not normally have come in on Sunday mornings could find some hope in this time along with our community here at First United Methodist Church at all our campuses. So I'm going to turn it over to our worship leader. Welcome to church, friends. Let's go to God together. Our opening hymn will be, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought, number 128.
next hymn will be Lord, who throughout these 40 days. scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 19. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. 
They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard his words were again divided. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, as we prepare to hear the message, I would invite you to join me in prayer by repeating with me the words on your screen. Holy God, where there is fear, give us hope. Where there is disease, grant us your healing. Where there is confusion, give us your wisdom. When we are afraid, let us cling to faith. When we feel alone, help us feel your presence. When the future is uncertain, remind us of your leadership. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to online worship. My name is Sherry Oxendale, and I'm the associate pastor here at First United Methodist Church of Kearney. And I am so excited to have this opportunity to be together with you in worship. Well, we're not really together, we're apart, but we are together in spirit. We all know that what binds us together is our love for Jesus and, of course, his love for us. Many of our thoughts and activities this past week have been centered on the COVID-19 pandemic. And I invite you today to stop and make this day a true Sabbath day. Make it a day that you can pause, pray, praise God, and then rest in the good news that our faith has to offer us. We're in the fourth week of a seven-week series on the words of Jesus, the words that say, I am. We're also in the season of Lent, which is a time in the church calendar that we take time to stop and repent and reflect and also renew ourselves. The I am statements are intricately related to the Old Testament scripture, which is brought forward, it's brought forward into the New Testament through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our hope is that we will learn who we are when Jesus says, I am. This series, in this series, we've reflected on the book of John and the I am proclamations. Week one, I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who have give, has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. Going on down to verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus makes reference to Moses for a good reason. Moses is given credit for the first five books in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Pentateuch, and Moses' story is told in four of those books. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, Moses is referenced. He's referenced also into the New Testament. He is an icon of our Bible. Week two, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When the Pharisees challenged Jesus on his testimony of being the light of the world, Jesus replied, verse 18, chapter 8, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Jesus was referring to God. He was referring to the God that the Pharisees had known and studied and the people had read about. The God who had made himself known. The God who said that he would one day send one to save us all. And last week, we learned what it meant for Jesus to say, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. We saw a great visual last week, and Adam, our lead pastor, explained that the shepherd would lay in that entrance there. And with that analogy, Jesus was saying that he was the only way to gain access to God. He was the only way to find life abundant. There was nothing that could come in and nothing that could come out if it did not go through that good shepherd. The people of that time would know, or at least suspect, that Jesus was claiming to be God in human form. This week's I am statement is closely related to the image on the screen. You could almost call last week part one and this week part two. If you have your Bible, it will be helpful to open up to the book of John, chapter 10. That's the fourth book in the New Testament. The New Testament is probably about the last third of your Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And this week's scripture continues right where we left off. We're still in chapter 10. Last week we did verses 1 through 10. This week we're starting with verse 11. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The image of Christ as the good shepherd is an image that we can embrace and hold close. He is the good shepherd as, and one who will lay down our life, his life for us. In fact, he has laid down his life for us. It's a very powerful image to embrace. Worry, anxiety, fear, often, often occupy the space in our minds, and then it dictates our actions. This certainly has been obvious these past few weeks. To, open, to oversimplify my thoughts on this, I could say the vast majority of our problems as Christians is that we tend to lead our Christian life um, not, not following God's lead, not taking time to reflect and ruminate and then rest on Christ, the Good Shepherd, knowing that he will take care of us. I'm not saying that we just sit back and do nothing and watch the world go, go by. I'm saying that we take time to think and act and speak out of love and kindness, the kind of love and kindness that Jesus taught us to do. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the background imagery of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Then we'll look at three ways that Jesus proves that he is the Good Shepherd. He knows his sheep, he provides for his sheep, and he protects his sheep. 
Sheep and shepherds are a large part of the Mediterranean world and were especially so in biblical times. They're important, they're important for food. Their sheepskin is used. It was turned into containers for water and for wine. The skin was used for clothing. The wool was used for clothing. Parchment was made from the skin to ride on. Even the sheep's bones and horns were made into riding utensils. Sheeps were also used as a common sacrifice. In fact, God demanded that the firstborn of the flock be sacrificed and offered it to him as a tithe and an offering. Sheep and shepherding were common, common themes in the Old Testament through characters that um, we learn about. Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, Zipporah, Joseph and his brothers, David and his brothers, all were shepherds, all of them. And there's a long list of these shepherds. Sheep were everywhere. And that means shepherds were also everywhere. Therefore, it's not too strange to read about God comparing himself and his people to a shepherd and his sheep. So when you think about Jesus now in the New Testament, he didn't pull that metaphor out of the blue. No, he took it from the Hebrew scriptures that he grew up with, that the people around him knew. In that day and time, every man and woman would know what Jesus was talking about. They would have thought about Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me to green pastures. They may have even thought about the words of Ezekiel. Now we have to remember back in the Old Testament, there were prophets. And those prophets were revered because they had the voice of God coming through their mouth. And this is what the prophet Ezekiel said. For this is what the so sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. So this is what these people are hearing. Ezekiel, their prophet, the word of God has said that he's the good shepherd. And now this man that's walking on earth is proclaiming he is the good shepherd. That particular passage goes on and tells as how God will act as the good shepherd, leading sheep to good grazing land, providing peaceful rest and green pastures. People's reaction when they heard this would be very much the same as our reaction if we saw someone or heard someone stand up and say, I am God. Of course, we would wonder about that person. We would ask that person questions. We may even debate between us. And so it's obvious the people were thinking about this because if you read down further in that passage in verses 19 and 21, we, we can read what, what happened. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed demon and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a, possessed, a man possessed by demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus fulfills the text of the Old Testament of being the good shepherd. He is God in the flesh, gathering his people, laying down his life, and in the end, dying for his people. What makes Jesus a good shepherd? 
He knows his sheep. He protects his sheep. And he provides for his sheep. John 10, 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I doubt that any of you have been actual shepherds, maybe, but I do know that some of you have had livestock, and some of you may have even raised up cattle for 4-H, cows for 4-H, and you gave those cows names. Your cows knew you, and you knew your cows. I know the neighbor across the street, when he pulls into um, the pasture with his feed truck, you can bet that those cows that were just aimlessly doing what cows do, raise up their heads, look around, and all start moving towards Greg the farmer, or at least moving to the sound of his truck. You know, Greg knows his cows, and his cows know him. He protects them. In fact, when the cows are in calving season, um, we can see them. He brings those cows into a protected area and makes sure that they are taken care of. He, he feeds them and takes care of them in that way. He brings hay to them. He also moves them from different pastures to make sure that um, those areas aren't overgrazed. You could say that Greg is their shepherd. He is their leader. So where are the places that we look for leadership? Our elected leaders of our country, of our community, our unelected community leaders. There's plenty of those. Do we look at coaches or athletes? whom we find worth imitating, authors, artists, actresses, actors whose work inspire us. What about our parents? What about our bosses? It's easy to be critical, especially when our government leaders' failings, whether those be personal failings or work-related failings, are constantly fed to us on the news with very few words about the hours they put in, the work, the stress, and the good things that happen through their leadership. In fact, it's easy to be critical of other leaders' abilities, especially when we don't know them personally. And especially when we've never done their job, would never think to do their job, would probably never be elected to do their job, don't have the skills to do their job. What if we took that time and energy and spent it on ourselves. And the true impact, <clears throat> excuse me, the true impact that we can have as leaders. To quote Bill George, <clears throat> author, of a, author of a great book on leadership called The True North, the hardest person that you will ever lead is yourself. Leading well, and I emphasize the well, does not come naturally. Good and great leaders aren't just born that way. In fact, we're all born selfish, crying to be fed, crying and demanding to be made comfortable. That's how we're all born. What we learn, we learn through our lives. We learn from people that lead us, people that we take from an example. So where do we find those people? Where do we look for those people? We um, sometimes don't have a choice. 
The parents we have are the parents we have. And that's how it goes. But where do we turn for guidance? Guidance on how to lead ourselves and to lead others? As Christians, we're called to look one place and one place only. And that place is to look to God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. On all your ways, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. John 10, 11. Know the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. One role we all have is being part of a family. In some ways, family members can be the same, but they are also all uniquely different. From a parent's perspective, you know that your children are the same in some ways. They all have your love, and they all can present challenges, like sheep going astray. Some children can be corrected with just a look. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about, and most parents know what I'm talking about. However, there are those other children that that look is not going to phase them at all. An example of that is when we've gone camping before. So one child you may trust to tend the fire while you quickly run to the tent to grab the bag of marshmallows. Another child, you make sure you have their hand in your hand and you wisely coax them into the tent with you, promising another marshmallow, making sure they're nowhere near that fire when you're not there. This is the differences between our children. Some are tender, some are stubborn, some are hurting, and some you'll never know that they're hurting. They hide it so well. Children are different, and the knowledge that you have about your children and about yourself too allows you to be a better parent. Knowledge of self and others enables you to be a better sibling, a better daughter, a better son, a better neighbor, and a better leader. Our children are all adults, but sometimes they act like children. Here's a couple of recent pictures of our daughters. We have a son too, but he chose not to participate. Not sure why. I did get our daughter's permission to use these pictures. You may wonder what the heck they're doing, and I didn't actually ask, but I think they're comparing their feet, looking for similarities and differences. And the leader of our family in particular changes, depending on who's present and what activity is at hand. And so with this particular activity, um, I believe it is our youngest daughter, Sophie, who's in the middle, that's pretty much leading it. So she's the one that's trying to get a picture, maybe a picture of the perfect toes, the feet, who knows what they're up to at this point. I put the second picture up there, not so you can find the differences between the two pictures. You know how um, you play that game. Uh, actually, since this is a video, you could stop it and do that if you want. Go be my guest. But I put it up there because of their facial expressions. And as a mother, I look at my daughters. The daughter on the far left, Brooke, is our oldest. And I look at her expression in that um, second picture, and I say, okay, this is what Brooke's probably thinking. Mom, isn't it funny that we're humoring Sophie? And then our middle daughter, Sophie, her expression says, yeah, I know this is silly, but if I can get my two sisters to do what I want, I'm milking it. I love it. And then I think I caught Courtney in between two thoughts. 
between kind of, okay, how long do I have to keep my toes like this? And I have a text that I need to answer. That's kind of a silly, silly example. But what we know, and when we accurately perceive um, what other people are trying to communicate, it makes us better parents. It makes us better employees. It makes us better bosses, and it makes us better leaders. Jesus, the good sheep, shepherd, knows his sheep thoroughly. There's nothing about you, or you, or you, or me, that God doesn't know. From the greatest to the slightest, from the most obvious to what you think is hidden. He knows it all. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. I personally think about this congregation as a pastor. There are more than 500 of you that typically come to worship here and at Westside, and that doesn't count the kids that go to First Kids. And I would love, I would love to get to know each and every one of you personally. To be real honest, I don't even know all of your names. It's not without desire that I don't know those things. Even the people that I do know, I would like to get to know them better. There is comfort, there's comfort in me knowing that I'm not in this ministry alone. That each of you minister to each other, that there are other staff members, that there are other pastors that are here to also be Jesus' hands and feet. But what gives me the greatest comfort, the greatest comfort, is that I know that God knows everything about you. He is the good shepherd of this church. He is. Not me, not Adam, not Mitch, not the staff, not the leadership team, but it is God who is the good shepherd. And don't we find peace in that? He knows each and every one of you better than we know ourselves. He knows our needs, our secrets, our tendencies, our desires. He knows our hopes, our longings. He knows our flaws, our feelings, our failings, our sin, and he knows our passions. He knows, and he does respond, and he re does that perfectly. And that's wonderful. It's wonderful news. And it's not too hard for most of us to recognize Jesus as a good shepherd, and he is the perfect leader. Where we stumble is when it comes to recognizing that we are weak and failing sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd, but we want to hide that we're not perfect. We choose to not ex expose our weaknesses. In fact, we sometimes choose not to act when we're called to act. We wait for someone else to do the job, preferring to sit back and be the critiquer as opposed to stepping forward and facing being critiqued. David Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Wherever you go, Christ is with you. The Holy Spirit surrounds us. She never abandons us because Jesus knows us and we need a good shepherd. We need a good shepherd to protect us. In times of disasters, our leaders call out to God. Last Sunday, President Trump declared a national day of prayer. He reminded us, the entire country, 
about its history, the history of the United States, who has always looked to God for strength and protection in times like these. With so much uncertainty, uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus around the world, people are afraid. God's word instructs us to cast our cares upon him because he cares. How much does he care? What length will he go to for our protection? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He will protect you. He has protected you already by laying his life down for you and laying his life down for me. He has promised us no matter what this world brings today, we have a promise for this wonderful life with him. The good shepherd knows us, protects us, and provides for us. I've read quite a bit about shepherding and sheep the past week. Shepherds protect their sheep from outside threats. They bind up and treat their wounds. They go and find the ones that have gone astray. They separate sheep that are fighting with each other, and they lead them from pasture to pasture. Shepherds are, are responsible for making sure that the pasture land is adequately, adequately fertile and not overgrazed. Here's a picture of a shepherd herding her sheep, providing place to eat and drink. Think of the last verse of Psalm 23 when you look at this picture. Remembering the Lord is our shepherd. The final verse begins with, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Surely. It's guaranteed. God is our good shepherd. God's blessing and goodness and love, forgiveness and mercy will be ours all the days of our lives. All of us slip into times of worry. Whatever it is, relationships, school, work, grades, a paycheck, the coronavirus. We worry and we fret and we ruminate over things we cannot control. This is why scripture speaks so many times about not being anxious and not to worry. Jesus gives so many object lessons on this very topic. When he gives the Sermon on the Mount to all those gathered lying on the grass or sitting on the grass, Jesus' sheep out before him, his followers, they're there. They're told not to be anxious about anything, not to worry what they eat or drink because God knows what they need. The Lord clothes the grass of the field and feeds the sparrows. The Lord knows what you need and will provide. Think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. 5,000 people gathered. This is very 23rd Psalm picturesque. They're laying on the green grass. They're receiving the word. He's preaching to them. He's watching over them. And then the disciples, who are called the most faithful, come running to him with worry and anxiety and angst, saying, well, how are we going to feed all these people? Send them away. We can't have them all here. And Jesus calmly says, he will take care of his sheep. He will provide for them. And he does. He provides time and time again. If we look at our lives, we know he has done that. Some of us see the glass half full and others of us see the glass half empty. There are optimistic people and there are pessimistic people or realistic people, as my husband says. 
Growing up, I had some neighbors that lived on the west side of us that came in handy when I was actually at my house because their last name was West. I loved Anna and Hedford. They were like grandparents to all six of us kids. I can't imagine their patience, to be honest with you. Before Anna died, she talked to my mom, and she told my mom that the only verse that she did not want read at her funeral was the 23rd Psalm. And the reason she didn't want that verse read is because she didn't like the part that says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And she just didn't like that shadow of death in there. And I have to admit, I kind of had that same slant towards that part of the 23rd Psalm until a wise woman told me. I'm going to read what she said. And she said, you know, I love that part. It gives me such hope. And I said, why is that? Explain it to me. And she said, because where there's a shadow, there is light. A shadow cannot be cast without light. God shines his light on each one of us. And his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. This is a promise that has been proven by Jesus' sacrifice of him on the cross We've been provided for now and forever. Do you know the Good Shepherd? During this time of global unrest, will you pause? Will you pray? And will you pursue Christ as your leader? Being a follower of Jesus influences those around us for God's glory. It's a way of leading. Paul says this so well when he's writing to the Corinthian people. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, our good, good shepherd, we thank you for all that you are to us. You have sacrificed everything for your people. We sometimes act like children, babies demanding to have what we want when we want it. We cry and throw fits when we don't get our way or others don't behave the way we want them to. Lead us in your ways. Let us love you with our whole hearts and love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. Let us be leaders who influence others around us for God's glory. Lord, we lift up to you those who are sick and their families too. Those who are living in fear and anxiousness. Those who are now unable to work and those who must continue to work. We lift up the professionals who are providing medical care and those working on treatments and the vaccine for the COVID-19. We pray for our leaders to act with wisdom and courage as they make vital decisions that impact each of us. We also pray for President Trump and our nation's coronavirus task force, headed by Vice President Mike Pence, as they work closely and diligently with the myriad of issues related to this pandemic. Lord, we thank you too for these leaders. We thank you for those who step out and show us the way. Let us support our leaders. Let us do as you want us to do. Lord, let us bring glory to you. As Christians, let us find peace and rest for our minds, knowing that you are the good shepherd who knows us, protects us, and provides for us. Amen. 
Well, friends, we now have the opportunity to be generous and give, even if we're not meeting in person on Sunday. I know that this pandemic will have an effect on lots of folks economically. If you have a need, please get in touch with one of our pastors. We can put you in touch with resources, and it would be our pleasure to assist you. We will continue to support our community in ways that are going to be evolving. Right? This situation is changing rapidly. We as a church will continue to respond. We believe that God has gifted us uh, to maintain our mission during this incredibly difficult and in my lifetime unprecedented season. Just because we aren't gathering in groups doesn't mean that ministry stops. We will continue our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And so on, on our page, on the page you're, you're looking at, we will have a link where you will be able to give online. We will continue to provide an opportunity for you to be faithful and for you to be generous. And that means so much, especially in this time where we need each other even more. So may God use these, our generous gifts, to make the circle of his love grow wider and wider so that we can serve our community in this trying time and ultimately that more and more people would come to know the saving love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your generosity. A closing hymn this morning will be The Old Rugged Cross.
church family, thank you so much for making worship a priority. It is so good to continue these faithful practices when everything else seems up in the air. Don't forget the opportunity to be generous. Don't forget the opportunity to share this experience with somebody that you care about. And please, please, please subscribe to our email list. Follow us on social media. Stay connected in this era of social distancing. Friends, it has been so good to be together virtually. We will see you next week. Stay safe and keep your head up. Amen.